All right, open up your Bibles to Psalm 23. I was expecting cheers for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kingdom Conference week. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Cannot wait. It is going to be awesome. Okay, Psalm 23. We are finishing up our Psalms series this week. We've been in it. This is week number five as we're going through the book of Psalms. Talking about five different categories of psalms. I hope you have been encouraged, inspired, and convicted by the Word of God over the last few weeks. This has been a blast for me. My dad did a great job last week talking about the uh, songs to sing, which is beautiful. And this week we are talking about our fifth and final category of psalms, Thanksgiving and Trust Poems. Thanksgiving and Trust Poems is category number five. We're going to be talking about poems that inspire, guess what, two things. Thanksgiving and trust. Thanksgiving and trust. <laughs> Thanksgiving, gratitude. Poems that teach us to be grateful for who the Lord is. I've been referencing one Bible teacher. Uh, we've, been, we've quoted him a couple of times about what the Psalms are. And he says, uh, being grateful is a virtue that is its own reward. When we are grateful... We're grateful to God, not just for what he does, but, but when we are grateful, it helps us remember who he is. And when we remember who he is, it reminds us to trust in him. That is why we are to be thankful in everything, because it is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, not because thankfulness helps us stay positive and optimistic, but because thankfulness reminds us of who God is. And when we remember who God is, we remember that we can come to Him. And we trust Him. And we come into His presence. This is why we enter His gates with thanksgiving. This is why, this is where, um, as we get into these psalms of trust and thanksgiving, it's important to remember that this is poetry. So it sounds like poetry, and it is poetry because it is poetry. So when we're reading these things, when we're meditating on these things, and God is speaking to us through these things, we need to remember that these words are, are painting a picture inside of you. They're not just saying words to inform you. So let the Holy Spirit paint inside of you this morning. The question of trust and thanksgiving psalms, and even specifically as we dive into Psalm 23 this morning, the question is not, do you know the words to Psalm 23? The question is, do you know the person in the portrait? Yeah, it's good. <clears throat> We've been teaching you about different elements of some Hebrew poetry. I hope you found that interesting and enriching. Uh, this today isn't so much an element of poetry. We're kind of going into a transliterated word. We talked about selah. Uh, that's not, not an English word. It's just our, it's just like what the Hebrew word sounds like. And we don't have a word that exactly means that. So we just stole that word. And now we say it. Tracking? Yep. So that happens. There's different examples of that. And one of the examples that we're going to see today is a word, hesed. I think that's how you say it. That's how it's spelled. So we'll say it that way. Hesed. This is a common word in the Old Testament as a whole, and it's most common in the Psalms. So it's used about 255 times in the Old Testament. And half of those 255 are in the Psalms. There's a wide range of English words that 
translators will commonly use when they come across the Hebrew word has said. So you'll see, so this doesn't mean that every time you see these words in English, it means has said. It just means sometimes it is. You tracking with me? Yep. So words, they'll, they'll try to use words like mercy or loving kindness, steadfast love, faithfulness, covenantal love, loving faithfulness. That doesn't mean that we can't agree on what, it's, on what the word means. It means the word means all of those things. How do you put all of those things into one word? Well, you do it by just keeping the original word, which is why we say hesed. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have an English word that captures all of those things, so we stick with the Hebrew word. Hesed, it isn't just a singular thing or an attribute like, like mercy or love is. It has elements of love and elements of mercy and elements of kindness, but it isn't those things. It is kind, but it isn't kindness. Kindness is. Has said it's it's a relational term also. It's, it's more dynamic than just descriptive. It's a relational term that describes both the internal character as well as the external actions. So it describes the internal character as well as the external actions that are required for relationships. So in the Psalms, it's a theological term, which all that means is that when the Psalms use it, it's trying to describe God. It's trying to teach us not who God is or what he does, but both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Both who he is and what he does in one word. He is good. So similar to how we think about goodness, we could say. God is good, but he also does good. So good is who he is, and good is what he does. Love is who he is, and love is what he does. Hesed is who he is, and what he does. And one of the commentaries I was reading, researching this, just said this. They, they write better than I do, so I just quoted them. It says, The Lord's Hesed is the basis on which the psalmist dares to ask for deliverance and forgiveness. He said, the psalmist is saying, when he uses this word, he said, he's saying, I know this is who you are, and I know this is also what you do, and it's that confidence in you that gives me the confidence to ask for forgiveness and deliverance. Yeah. It's a word of knowing God and of confidence. It says, the Lord's has said, describes how and why the Lord created and sustains good creation. The Lord's has said is that to which the hymns of praise and songs of thanksgiving bear witness. The Lord's has said is what the wisdom psalms teach. So when we went through Psalm 1 and we talked about the wisdom of God and you walk out with something more inside of you, it was God's has said. So Exodus 34, 6, a verse that will sound familiar, familiar, you've heard this verse before, and I don't have it in my notes, so I'm banking on you guys to have it. Did I tell you to have it? There it is, okay. The Lord passed before him, speaking of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Psalm 136 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His hesed endures forever. And Psalm 136 is actually pretty stunning. I suggest you read it. It's 26 verses of a declaration of God followed by the declaration, um, His hesed endures forever. 26 different things about God. And so what's has said, it's all those 26 things and it's what's behind them. Psalm 145 verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in hesed, abounding in steadfast love. You got that written down? Hesed. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to get to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. This must be the most popular poem ever written. It has to be. It's about 3,000 years old. 3,000. That's a lot of years. It's like too many years to even understand how many years it is. It's just a lot. It's like super duper old. And so it's really old. And it's in the most published book of all time. And it's been quoted in secular and sacred settings alike for a long, long time. This is in John 3.16, probably the most popular verses in the Bible, right? You don't have to go to church or know the Bible to know that Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, Edwards, Spurgeon, and just about everybody else, be them church fathers, desert mystics, scholastics, the saints of prayer, has written in their own words about the magnificence of Psalm 23. It is written before and ranks before all of Homer, Virgil, Dickinson, Herbert, Poe, Milton, Tupac, and everybody else. (laughs) What we have in front of us, what we have in front of us this morning that we are about to read that you are so familiar with must be understood to be the most impactful, known and loved piece of poetry, if not piece of literature, in all of human history. So would you stand to read it with me this morning? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to read to you another translation, just because we can. So I'd like for you to stand and, and listen as I read this to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. He provides rest for me in green pastures. He leads me to peaceful waters. He restores my life. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for the sake of his own name. Even if I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
They give me courage. You set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is abundant. Indeed, goodness and said, pursue me all the days of my life. And I will return to the house of the Lord for the length of my days. Jesus, we're so thankful this morning. We're so thankful that you are you and alive and present. We're thankful to be together under your glorious name. We thank you for your living word, specifically just this word for us this morning. And we um, honor you and we ask you, Holy Spirit, be among us as we read and as I share. But I thank you for the opportunity to be together with all of these brothers and sisters and you for all of the places that everyone's coming from this morning and different places that we're at, we're all here, meeting as one under your word. And we thank you for that. We lift you up as the head, as the bridegroom, as Emily said, as the host, or as the host and the guest of honor in this place this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 begins... The Lord, the Lord, the Hebrew name here is Yahweh. It starts just the name of God, Yahweh. Or another way to say it and write it is Jehovah. This is the name of Almighty God. Psalm 23 starts off not, not with the description as we read it, the Lord. The Lord is actually the name of the Lord. And it's the best we can do to write the Hebrew name. It starts off with a name, not, not, not a pointing to the Lord over there. It just says the Lord. Yahweh. Yahweh. It starts with the name of Almighty God that was revealed for the very first time to humanity on Mount Horeb when a shepherd turned aside to see a burning bush that was not consumed. When God found the grown son of Hebrew slaves who had grown up in Pharaoh's palace and who was now in exile for murder. Revealed when a washed up forgotten man with a speech impediment was told to be the voice of God to a man who considered himself to be God so that God's people could be freed from being that God's slaves. But God, I'm weak. But God, I'm scared. But God, I can't. But God, no one will believe me. But God, what should I say? What should I say when your people don't believe me? What should I say when Pharaoh challenges and laughs at me? What do I say, God? And God himself answered by speaking his own name. I am. Yahweh. So what is it? Is it Yahweh? Jehovah? I am? Yes. It, it's the name that cannot be pronounced. Not it just isn't pronounced. It can't be pronounced. So, so sometimes you'll see it written as Y-H-W-H because it's like, well, we don't want to put the vowels because it's such a holy name. No, there, there's, there's no vowels. We don't, it, how do you put into human language the name of God that God himself spoke? Yeah, good. 
We can't pronounce it because God said it out of his own mouth. We spell it, like I said, Y-H-W-H. We say Yahweh, but it, that's not the right way to say it. It's not the complete way to write it. It's not the complete way to say it because there, there isn't one. The name that cannot be explained because it means too many things at one time for any language to try to capture and then portray. Amen. It's not just the name of a being, but the name of being itself. Hmm. We are straight away in Psalm 23 addressing and being introduced to I am. He whose name we cannot even rightly say. He who is before and after all that is. How do you say who the one who is, is? How do you comprehend the one in whom is being? <laughs> Novation, an early church theologian said, all our thoughts about him will be less than he is. Amen. Yes. And our loftiest utterances will be trivialities in comparison with him. God himself tells us that he is, I am. The Lord. Who is the Lord? He is. The language in this poetry isn't to define him or explain him or give you the right word to say. It's an effort to put him on display. That's what's happening. He's too big for your words. He's too big for your mind. He's too big for your understanding. He's too big for your preferences. He's too holy to be put in any of your boxes. He can only be known by revealing himself. You cannot find him. He's unknowable, but that he makes himself known. He can only be known by making his unknown self known in a somehow knowable way. What we know of Him is only that which He has shown to us of Himself. And what we understand, we only understand by understanding that He is not one of us. Yes. He is not a version of us. God, in Scripture, He reveals Himself in narrative. He reveals Himself in prose. And in the Psalms, God reveals Himself in poetry. In the narrative... We're brought into his story. In prose, he condescends to our language so that even though we cannot explain him, we might have something to say about him. Yeah. And in poetry, he connects and paints himself into our soul. What's his name? Who is the Lord? It's, it's more than cognitive. It's more layered than just intellectual. It's like when a musician plays the right note at just the right time and the reason that it's so right is because it's wrong. I was watching this little clip the other day of John Mayer. Any John Mayer fans? Yeah. And he was explaining the music theory behind his intro to Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. Iconic little riff. So I don't know hardly anything about guitar, and I know even less about music theory, 
but I love listening to John Mayer talk about guitar and play guitar. Because something happens when he does it. So he's explaining what's going on, and, and I'm going to tell you what he said. I don't know what any of it means, but I'm trying to, trying to illustrate a point here. He, he started off by explaining, he said that the first few notes were just a dressed up C-sharp minor pentatonic, and he played them. And he's like, see, it's right there. And he played, I played what I guess was a pentatonic, and then he played his parts of it. And I was like, okay, I heard that. Yep, okay. <laughs> so the first few notes were a dressed up C-sharp minor pentatonic, and then he goes down the neck of the guitar to an A, he says, and then an E, because he told me that E is right next door to A. <laughs> and he said it's so simple, so logical. It was almost mathematical. It's just this scale which goes to this chord, which is right next to that one. So A plus B plus C equals slow dancing in a broken room. <laughs> but the A chord, as he was describing it, he threw in that the A chord was just his own inversion that he likes to play sometimes. So it's, okay. So it's what he plays, it's his version that he sometimes plays of an A chord. So he said, the A goes like this, and he played an A, but they said, but I play it like this. And he played his version, you're like, I'm not sure that's the same thing. <laughs> and so he says, an A goes like this, but my A goes like this, and some gorgeous sound came out of his guitar. So it's just a C-sharp minor pentatonic, and then I just put a, and he did his John Mayer guitar playing face, and threw in these extra notes that he hadn't said anything about yet, on his way to his version of an A that he sometimes plays, on his way to, which he threw some other notes in that he never said anything about, to an E. And he was slow dancing in a burning room, but I couldn't follow the math anymore. So the theory, the music theory, the language, music theory is the language of music, right? It, it, we can't use words, but it's music's words. And so it's the theory, the theory, the language explained what he was playing, but the theory couldn't explain the art that happened when he played it. Right, right. The language explains what his hands are doing on the guitar, but the theory can't describe what the music is doing to my ears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Yahweh is his name. And that word tells us who he is, but he isn't that word. Right. He isn't that word. His name is Yahweh, but he also is his name. He, he, his na the name itself is a picture and a revelation of him. His name is who he is. His name is his very presence to get eternally lost in. It's why our language can't handle it. That's right. It's like a one-word eternal poem that can never be written and will never be written except for the fact that it is written, I am. I don't know what an eternal one-word poem that's written in two words looks like, but that's it. Right. Yahweh, the Lord, if it hadn't come from God, it would be blasphemy every time you say it. <clears throat> Who is this God who sent you, Moses? I am. You are? No, I am. Pharaoh, 
Who is this big and powerful God, oh you with a speech impediment, who wants me to let go of his people, who are actually my people? I am. You? No. I am. Good. Andrew, who is God? I am. And everybody got up and left. <laughs> you are Andrew? No, 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 no. I am. I can't tell you who he is without him introducing himself to you. Because he's too, he, he's too big for me to tell you who he is. I can't tell you who he is. You can't know who he is, even if I could try to explain him to you. You can only know him if he reveals himself to you. You cannot know God if I tell you about God. Because I can't know God because he's unknowable. He is. I can't, I can't know him unless he shows himself to me. And you can't know him unless he shows himself to you. So you can't know him even if I try to show him to you. But his very name when I say it is him showing himself to you. Every time you say his name, he's revealing himself. Every time you hear his name, he's revealing himself. Every time you say his name. God, who are you? Before Abraham was, I am. Are you hungry? I am the bread of life. Are you thirsty? I am the vine. Are you outcast? I am the door. Are you dead? I am the resurrection and the life. Are you lost? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you clueless? defenseless and helpless like a sheep, I am the good shepherd. Amen. Yeah. I am is my shepherd. I can't say who he is without him introducing himself. And I can't tell you who he is without confessing who I am. A sheep can only have a shepherd if the shepherd first has the sheep. So when I tell you that I am is my shepherd, I'm really just confessing I am the sheep of I am. Sheep don't really have shepherds. Shepherds have sheep. It's the fact that the shepherd has the sheep that makes the shepherd the sheep's shepherd. I am is my shepherd. I am has made me his. Which means I am has made himself mine. Right. I shall not want. I lack nothing. I lack nothing, not because I have everything, but because I have, I am. And that's only because I am has me. How could I have need when the one from whom all that is has me? Right. If he is, I am, and I am his, and I am is mine, I lack nothing. A.W. Tozer said, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I am 
is my shepherd. I am has me. I am feeds me. I am fills me. And I am restored. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There is a right path. He knows it. And he leads me in it because he is it. He is the path. He is the way. He is the light unto my feet and the path for my feet. By his name, he leads me in his name, to his name, for his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. As you read the poem of Psalm 23, it is here in the valley of the shadow of death that a ray of light shines from the side of the sun that we haven't seen yet. In his confessions about I am, come out the confession you are with me. When I am in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Who is with me when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Who is with me when the grass is not green? Who is with me when the waters are not still? Who is with me when my soul is being tattered? The infinite God answers from heaven through the psalmist, I am. I am. The power and the depth of this answer isn't that God is sharing his location and I find him next to me. He is more than with me. He is more than with you. He is more than with you. Again, our finite language fails us because the only way to understand that God is with us is actually to understand that God cannot be with us. He cannot be with us. Any reality of mine that God might be present with me in only first even exists inside of Him. I can't be without being inside of being. How could God be with us? How could God be with us when we are only little people inside of a reality of all that is and all that ever is, comes from, is for, and is held together already by Him? How? How could God who created, holds, and is outside of time and space be with me? Life cannot descend into death. Eternity cannot condescend into time. Light cannot exist out inside of darkness. He cannot be with me. Except that I am is Emmanuel. I am with us. The Word become flesh. This isn't theory or imagination or optimism. This is our confession. This is our confession that you are reality. Right. And all that we can ever know about reality is in you because you are I am. And the reality is that no matter what my reality is, the green pastures, the still waters, or death's valley, I lack nothing 
And I will have no fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Our other translation this morning says, Your rod and your staff, they give me courage. The Psalms testify over and over again that God is our refuge. He is our refuge. He is our refuge from attacks, from the enemies around us, from our own sin and from our condemnation. And He gives us, so He gives us comfort by being our refuge. But here in the valley, He gives us comfort by giving us courage, not refuge. He gives us courage. And the comfort of courage is a paradox. To have courage, you have to be in an uncomfortable situation. And yet, it is the Lord's rod and staff. It is His poking and His prodding in the valley. His leading and guiding in the valley. His being with us in the valley. That gives us the comfort of courage to walk through the valley. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. When I am in the valley, when I am prone to wander, when I am going my own way, I am is still with me, and I am yours. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Our other translation this morning said it this way, goodness and has said, pursue me. Surely goodness and has said, pursue me all the days of my life. When we read follow here, we need to understand the connotation of the follow because uh, when we're talking about sheep following shepherds and then we hear the word follow, that type of follow is too soft of a word for what it means here. It doesn't capture the tenacity that's being communicated here in these verses. The tenacity with which God follows. The other word for that is pursue. Right? Someone's following, if my kids are following me, that's one thing. If someone's pursuing me, that's a whole other thing. They're both still following me. But it's his goodness, it's his hesed that is pursuing you. He's leading me and chasing me at the same time. Because he is my shepherd that leads me, and he is his hesed that pursues me. Normally, the Psalms, it is the enemies who pursue. The enemies pursue the psalmist in order to inflict bodily harm. But here, the divine attributes of goodness and has said are pictured as incarnate forces which will not rest until they have tracked down and provided a safe harbor for the endangered psalmist. And at the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, in the end, when our journey is complete, no matter what the road has been like or for how long we have traveled, we will arrive to where he has been both leading and chasing us the whole time. His house. What's God doing with you? He's leading you. Through the valley? 
to his house. Where is God? He's chasing you. He's chasing you. To, just to find me? Not really. To drive you to his house. And we will dwell with him there forever. I am my shepherd. I am. I lack nothing. I am my green pasture and my still waters. I am my soul's restorer. I am my path of righteousness. I am with me in the valley. I am the table before me. I am the oil anointing me. I am my cup overflowing. I am goodness and mercy pursuing me. I am my destination. I am forever. I shall not want. I like nothing. Just stand as we close our time together. about our prayer team up to the front. If you need prayer for anything, please come and get it. And as I pray over us, I just want to read a short hymn. It was a hymn writer from the 1700s. You just close your eyes and pray with me. This, this is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power, and neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus the first and the last whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We praise him for all that is past and we trust him for all that's to come. God, you are I am. You are our shepherd. You are our destination. We stand here this morning.